Restaurant Unstoppable, episode three, zero, two. You know, nobody follows anyone that they're not inspired by. It's really fundamental. You know, you always follow a leader. But obviously, one guy can't do it all. So you have to have a whole bunch of people that are leading just like Roy. And then the obvious thing, you have to turn your staff into leaders. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurantsowner.com. And if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable, you will get a 10-day pass for only $1. Get on it. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Randy Caparoso. Randy, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. <laughs> Very unstoppable. Awesome. Well, Randy, let me just uh, give the listeners at home an idea of who we're talking to, and then we'll get into things. Randy Caparoso was a founding partner of the James Beard award-winning Roy's Family of Restaurants, where he was VP and corporate wine director, opening 28 restaurants from Hawaii to New York. Fast forward to present time, Randy is a restaurant consultant, multi-award-winning wine journalist, editor-at-large, and the bottom-line columnist for the Psalm Journal. And currently blogs and does social media work for Loudy Wine Grape Commissions, LoudyWine.com. Uh, obviously, we're just scraping the surface. You've done so much in your career. Um, I can't wait to learn more about you. But before we do, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. You know, if I, if I, if I had a man, mantra, it, it would be, you know, just never give up. Mm. Never give up. And how has that mantra served you, Randy? I never give up. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and I spent the first 28 years as a professional in restaurants. Uh, restaurants, more than any other profession, requires that you never give up. Mm. It, it requires a lot of patience and, you know, a lot of thought. And otherwise you fail. Mm. And, you know, I've seen failures. And but I've seen a lot of success, and you know, having been through the success, um, I, I think that's a, 
really a, a basic requirement. Mm, absolutely. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever come close to wanting to give up when you were maybe earlier on in your career, when things weren't where you were hoping they would be at a certain time? Did you ever want to give up? Absolutely. And how, all how do you power through that? How do you just sh- keep showing up when all you want to do is give up? You, you just remind yourself of what you're good at. Mm. And, and, and I can only speak from personal experience. And, um, you know, so early on, I, I, I realized that what I'm good at is, you know, putting together service and I'm good at understanding wine and I'm good at wine and food. Mm. And, you know, everyone always does best what they're really good at. Mm-hmm. And then so, you know, seriously, though, I, I never really woke up in the morning thinking otherwise. And so really, that's all the motivation I've ever needed. I love it, man. Uh, So now that we're motivated, because <laughs> I know I'm feeling motivated, let's talk about um, kind of how you got into this industry and uh, when you kind of knew that this was going to be your career and not just a for now job. So how did you break into the industry? It starts with the love of it. Okay. So uh, like a lot of kids, after high school, I worked my way through college working in restaurants. I mean, how common is that? We all do. It's easy money. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I did that between 74 and 78 at the University of Hawaii. Okay. Uh, it just so happened that I fell in love with wine pretty much early on. In those days, we could drink when we were 18. Okay. You know, so I, I, went into, I went to a tasting once, and I was just utterly fascinated by the differences between varietals and, and ha- things having to do with vineyards and tawar and things like that. And, you know, I started doing a lot of wine tastings, uh, you know, with friends and and uh, but, you know, then I got out of college with a useless degree. What was your philosophy. degree? OK, philosophy. Okay, philosophy. Cool. And but I was also married and expecting our first kid. OK, so that was, you know, that moment of truth where what the hell am I going to do now? And um, in Working in restaurants, I was working at a French restaurant at a time as as a waiter. Okay, doing table side service, wearing tuxedos, and really old fashioned. This is seventy eight now. Okay, um, I had always been helping my boss with the wine program. You know, suggesting this and that, mostly being ignored. But you know what? That's what I loved. I loved the wine part okay. of, of the business, and so I just went up to him and I said. Listen, I've decided I want to become a sommelier. And I had known sommeliers in those days. You know, in Hawaii, we had two of the uh, first American master sommeliers in the islands working. I knew them as friends, colleagues. We tasted wine together. We did all kinds of things. And, um, you know, so I was certainly uh, aware of the profession. and, And I decided, well, I love wine more than any part of the business. And so I want to specialize in that. Okay. Uh, and, and so that was the motivator. You know, uh, you know, what I, I always knew I was never going to wait on tables for the rest of my life, although I loved the entire hospitality idea. 
and so which is why I stuck stuck with it. But uh, I I went into the restaurant business full time as a, as a, as a wine professional. Awesome. So take me to the moment um, specifically. I want to feel like I'm right there in this moment with you where you decided that this is what you want to do, that, you, that, you, that you're not going to just be working in restaurants for now, but you want to be a sommelier. When did this moment really just connect and when did you commit to this? Can you remember it, the specific it, it, moment? No, I, I remember when I was just a kid, when I was 18 years old. Oh, wow. And, you know, and, and just the whole idea of this, you know, when I got into wine, I got into wine like a wine lover. You know, I tasted a lot of wine, drank a lot of wine. Uh, my girlfriend, who became my wife, was a great cook. And we spent a lot of time talking about wine and wines that go with food. Uh, we lived one block away from the largest wine retail store in Honolulu, um, you know, so I could walk down and, and and goof around the store, you know, nice. for hours on end. You know, I, I became a wine geek. I collected wine cores. I, I took labels off of bottles and I put them in a little album. I did all the geeky things. I had a journal. I wrote a journal about all the wines that I tasted. Yeah, and and so when you're doing that, and you're also working as a as a waiter in a restaurant, you kind of have little dreams of what if I did this, you know, as for a living. You know, because this is what I'm passionate about. And it was a dream. Mm -hmm. At first, it's a dream. So I, I didn't become a sommelier until I was 21. Uh, but it was basically making that initial dream happen. And and you know what? It was a why not thing. I love it, man. So I love that you're giving me that, you know, the fact that this was your dream, your passion. But why specifically why like what was it about serving people wine or what was it exactly about wine that you're passionate about there's so many attributes there so what exactly what socially in those days, socially in those days when you work in restaurants it's pretty rugged okay you know people drink like hell they were high on coke or there's oh every time you go somewhere there's the you know there's the marijuana crowd you know kind of you know, goofing off in the corner, just staring into space. <laughs> but I always noticed that if I brought my bottles of Beaulieu Private Reserve or Chateau Lafitte to a party, okay. it, it it stimulated conversation. All right, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> so, interaction between people. Wine was is, was a different sort of drug, and and it, it it was a it was a social drug. It 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 to me it. It, it 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 brought more out of people, uh -huh. and and as opposed to the other vices which are so prevalent in the industry, and probably it still is today. Because uh, how do you survive working in restaurants? <laughs> and, and so, so yeah, wine was a drug of my choice. That's another thing you can say. All right, cool. So, um. We kind of understand who you are, why you love wine so much now. I really want to know what brought you to this opportunity that you had uh, with um, – put a pause in here – the Roy's Family of Restaurants, 1988. Let's – sorry, 1981? No, in 88 is when I met uh, um, a chef named Roy Yamaguchi. Okay. And, and you know, he, he was a well-known uh, West Hollywood chef. Okay. Uh, and, you know, he – 
one day I was uh, I was working as a sommelier and I was uh, sitting around with a friend who was a waiter in the same French restaurant I was working at, and he told me, "Hey, you know, there's take a look at this magazine." So he showed me the cover of Bon Appetit magazine, and there was this beautiful dish on it. You know, it it, it was as much a salad as it was a, a meat dish, and I thought it was unusual. That he said, "Take a look at it," and it was like a twenty page spread on this new Euro-Asian cuisine that this guy was putting together. It talked about this guy named Roy Yamaguchi. He was, uh, uh, he was, he had been uh, California chef of the year twice at that point. He had his own restaurant, but he said, and my friend said, isn't that cool? And I said, wow, if I had a chef like that and, and I could work with wine with him, you know, we could conquer the world. He said, well, I got news for you. He's moving to Hawaii. Ooh, all right. And I said, oh, my God, yeah. And um, I got to meet him. He said, well, it just so happens that we've known each other since we were in high school. We went to the same high school together in Tokyo. And so there you go. All you know, right. It's, so- all, it's a matter of who you know and when it happens. And so um, – a month or so uh, uh, later, um, in uh, I think it was in July, uh, I met Roy Yamaguchi on his visit okay. to Hawaii. He, he had already picked a place uh, where he wanted to build his restaurant in Hawaii. He he completely sold his L.A. operation. You know, he had a lot of partners, and so uh, so but he was gone. And uh, he showed me where he wanted to put it on the eastern side of. Uh, of Honolulu, and uh, and he shared his dreams of what kind of restaurant he wanted. And I thought it was it was an incredible dream. And so, in, real quick, um, I, I want to and so I asked him if you know, do you need a guy? And yes, I was his first guy that he hired. Awesome. Let's so, put a break in here real quick because I want to learn uh, about what you did between seventy eight and eighty eight. Uh, you know, what were some specific moves you did to create value for yourself uh, or to become a person ah, of value? What did he see in you? Everybody wants to know about that part, you know, don't they? You know, uh, <laughs> because there's so many people in the wine business in these days. In those days, you know, uh, there weren't a lot of sommeliers. There, I mean, frankly, I mean, you know, there's a couple dozen in the whole freaking country. And so it wasn't a profession people wanted to do. You didn't make a lot of money doing it. Okay. And so, yeah, and so there there wasn't a, a lot, but but that's what I did. And but what I decided to do was I decided to excel in it. Ah. And uh, and to excel in it, you just don't show up to work, polish glasses, open up bottles. You, you take proactive uh, approaches where you're actually part of a, of, of a restaurant's growth. And so you create, you know, uh, creative wine programs. You know, uh, you do innovative selections. You do uh, dinners, you know, with your chef, you know, matching wine with food. Um, you, you, you make uh, wine... Um, how did uh, Ed, Ed, Ed Osterlin, uh, the first American master sommelier who lived in Hawaii at that time, always used to say that, you know, wine has to be part 
of a bottom line. Otherwise, it's 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 meaningless. You know, you're just showing up to work. Mm. It you know it it has to be. Um, how do he put it? It 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 it, it has to be you know a a, a generating uh, part of a restaurant. You know, it has to generate its own revenue, and it has to be part of a restaurant. And so that's what I did. Mm. And I think I did it very, very well. And so I did it to the point where, say, when the Institute, um, no, the Court of Master Sommeliers decided to do uh, um, examinations on American soil for the first time, because it used to be where you had to go all the way to the UK to take examinations. Um you know, and that was in 1988. Um, they they asked for applications, and 20 people uh, um, were accepted, and I was part of that group. Awesome. And you know, I took exams. It was damn hard to do. There was only one person who even passed. Uh, and uh, but you do things. You you have to excel at your job. You you can't do ordinary things. You have to do exceptional things i mean how how much more uh it's it's not that much more complicated than that i really just want to put the brakes on real quick and just focus on some of the key takeaways to this point which i think are just totally worth bringing back up from the very beginning uh your success quote was that you never have to give up and when you feel like you're gonna give up Focus on those things that you do really well. Focus on those things that that light you up on the inside. And I mean, that's what you did um, from the very beginning. Like you, you got into this industry. You you decided or discovered that you loved wine, so you focus on that one thing. You became a person of value. Um, and when you can become a person of value, and you know, you can become an asset to somebody. Uh, you don't just just do the job you do you do the best freaking job you can possibly do and over time you're gonna just start to you know stretch out over your competition and you're gonna become a person of value basically yes you have to be indispensable Mm -hmm. to your company awesome you know thank you for getting into the details uh and really spelling out (laughs) the things that you did to become a person of value and now let's fast forward back to where we were where uh you you approach roy and he uh wants to open this restaurant you see this thing and you say it was a very you know nice dream he had a brilliant dream so what what was the dream what what was about this restaurant this vision he had that you think was so spectacular what what drew it to you first first of all you know Yamaguchi was extremely talented, you know, and in the culinary world, he's really known as, you know, the pioneer of uh, the the thing that's extremely common these days. Now it's as common as anything. But it's uh, but that idea of combining French sort of cooking techniques with uh, Asian ingredients. And, And so he could do it well because he was born and raised in Japan, but he was an American citizen. He went to the CIA and he worked under French chefs in L.A. before starting off on his own. So he was very good at his job. Uh, um, and so when I met him, his dream was to open up a restaurant. You know, that was great. Now, now what, what, what he meant by great was maybe unexpected uh, in terms of what, how most people think of what great is. For instance, 
he had this dream of opening up a restaurant where people spend only 18 or 25 bucks. Okay. Not 100 or 200 bucks, like any great restaurant. But he also made it very, very clear. They were going to come in and they're going to have food, you know, cooking. They were going to experience cooking that's imaginative, it's creative, it's done every day. He wrote his menus every day. And it was going to be the best damn meal they've ever had. Okay. And so the thinking was really, really simple. You can compare yourself to a restaurant where you get a great experience and you normally have to spend 100 or 200 bucks. That's your typical great restaurant. Or you can go to a Roy's restaurant and have this incredible experience, the best dinner you've ever had in your life, and you spend only 25 or 30 bucks. So the thinking was, where in the hell are you going to go if you're a customer, if you want to go back? Well, you're always going to go back to the place where you spend a hell of a lot less money. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. He he so, wanted to so, increase the value as much as possible it, by yeah, having yeah. affordable food but outstanding experiences. So, and you know how he said that it can easily be done. It's bullshit when people say it can't be done. You you cook every day. You don't mm-hmm. throw things out. You're, mm-hmm. You you use everything. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have the finest crystal. You know, we didn't have the finest crystal. You don't have to have silverware that you had to polish every day. We had things that work, like people have in their homes, you know. Uh, it, it works. You have a fork, you have a plate, and you have a white tablecloth, you know, And but you're eating, goddammit. Um, and you know what? Um, I said, I dig it. And I want to do a wine program exactly the same way. Okay. So yeah. you, you I want, want I have go wine ahead. list. I want I have a wine list that we're going to write every day, just like you write your food menus. It's going to be extremely value oriented, but it's always going to be innovative and inventive. Mm-hmm. It's going to be globally sourced because your cuisine is globally sourced. You know, uh, it's going to have a sense of elegance because you have French. Uh, 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 you have a French foundation in your cooking techniques. So, you know, this was good enough to uh, earn Roy in, in our first restaurant, a, a James Beard Award, within three years. Wow. It's good enough for us to be rated by Forbes magazine and Gomeo in the top 40 in the country in three or four years. It was good enough to get cover stories in Gourmet and Bon Appetit again. It was good enough where people were flying in from all over the world to eat there. Wow. Um, so there you go. We we made a restaurant that it was compelling. You know, you, you had to eat there if you visited or if you lived there, you had to eat there once a week. If you visited for a week, you had to eat there seven days a week, seven days in a row. Um, we we. Took no prisoners. We were just <laughs> you, you, best damn restaurant. You made you know? your point, man. I I feel it, and I and I I'm totally behind what you're saying. I I, I want to talk about. I mean, I'm sure the food was incredible. I, I'm sure the wine list was incredible. That's what you do. But what else did you bring to the table? Were you a manager in front of house? Were you what? How else did you? affect the total experience because it sounds like it was a, uh, an incredible experience dining at this restaurant well, so how I, else did, did you do that because i needed to get paid because i had four kids by then you know uh <laughs> i didn't have the luxury of big management staff so we had three other guys you know uh, and everyone kind of focused on what they did 
you know, uh, I had one guy focused on service, another guy who kind of focused on uh, um, on general management things. And uh, you know, in my I I I did the wine program, but I also was the PR director. I also did the advertising. I also uh, hired uh, servers, and I also you know uh, hired the bartenders. I you know you 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 have a, a full fledged managerial job in in that instance, but what we did was we built a foundation and it did not come overnight, but we built a foundation uh, to create, you know, a, a certain uh, culture and a way of doing things, a way of hiring the right people, of retaining them and, you know, and, and training, constant training, because one part I left out in my previous uh, discussion of this is the fact that Roy from the very beginning said, oh, I want to open up five or six restaurants. Okay. You know, and, and he says, and and we're going to do that by making our first restaurant really great. That's what's in. And after that, it's going to be a little, a lot easier, you know, to, uh, uh, um, you know, trans, uh, transition to other places. And so within three years, we opened up our second restaurant. And, and then within another uh, two years, we'd had five or six. And like I said, over the 13 years that I was there as a, man, a founding partner, you know, we ended up with 28 of them. Wow, that's incredible. And I think we need to you know, really slow down and put some emphasis on this topic of building that foundation, of focusing on making that first restaurant just extraordinary. Uh, so then you can then duplicate that chassis, use that framework to go on exactly. to your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth. Um, so let's talk about this slow evolution of the three years. I mean, what it sounds like you had four partners, one person working on service, one work person working on gen, general operations, you who was responsible responsible for the wine, the PR, the marketing, and then your boy Roy uh, in the kitchen. So you got the foundation. You, you built this over time. What are the, some of the key elements, the, the big lessons you took away from getting this foundation, from building this team around yourself? How did you do that? Well, it probably was easier for us than other people because we built our concept around a person. Okay. And so a person is somebody you can point to and, you know, and say, uh, this is a guy who's sort of the essence of what we are. He's creative. He's, he's full of energy. You know, he's determined. Um, and, you know, he's very service oriented. He comes from that Japanese school where, you know, uh, one of the first things Roy told me, for instance, was, you know how you can always tell restaurants that are failing or going out of business? And I, and I asked him, well, 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 how can you? He said, well, you go to the restaurant and you eat there, you pay your bill, you walk out and nobody says thank you mm. or good night. And because you know what? In, in, those, in those restaurants, you know, nobody cares. And, and that's a failed restaurant, guaranteed. In our business then, as it is now, you know, new restaurants, you know, three out, out of five of them will fail within the first two years. That's just the reality of the business. A lot of people think it's an easy business. It is not an easy business. And so we were very service oriented. You know, we, we, you know, we, we would yell and scream till we were red in the face if an employee didn't say thank you, hello, how are you, things like that. 
and didn't pay attention to detail. So these are all parts of it. What happens is when you open up a new restaurant, you know, for the first time, you start to feel your identity. So like I said, it's easier for us because we could point to a chef and we can say, this is how the chef feels things should be done. Just do what he does and we'll be okay. You know, in terms of the creativity and the use of the imagination and being innovative, just everyone, we need to be innovative. We're going to, we're in everything we do. Um, so that's the fundamental thing, you know, and, but then what happens, what becomes more difficult is the execution of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's where a lot of restaurants fail. They hire the wrong people, for instance. It's because they hire anybody that walks off the street or they hire, they hire a hostess because she's pretty. Anyone who hires a hostess knows that the most effective hostesses are actually not pretty. They're the smart. They're smart. Yep, absolutely. And, go ahead. And the same for waiters. You hire waiters because of their brains you know, and their personality because these are the people who are in front of people. You know, you want people who can think on their feet and they can memorize 20 new dishes and every ingredient in it mm. and who love doing that. Yeah. And so if you if you hire the wrong people, you you fail. You, you, you totally fail. And so, so this is all part of it. You know, you, then you build a culture after three or four years. Yeah, you have an idea of exactly who you are. Then you can put it down on paper. Mm hmm. And that's how you grow. Awesome. Uh, man, some great stuff in that. And um, oh, where to go next? I mean, um, so just to summarize a few key things that I, I want to pull out of that conversation. Um, you, the first thing you guys did is you you identified your brand. And when you make your brand uh, an extension of a person, uh, a personal brand, somebody, and that person's incredible. They're doing something truly innovative. And they have those those core values, those uh, you know, those disciplines to be excellent. It makes building that brand so much easier. Um, so the first step it sounds like build the brand, and in, in this circumstance, you made uh, the brand the person. And then I put down create the culture. Uh, and it sounds like you 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 had that culture early on. Uh, you were. You had that culture of caring, that culture of service, that that culture of attention to detail. But the big thing I loved about what you shared with us is you lived the culture. If somebody didn't say thank you or have a great night, like you didn't let that slide. Like that wasn't who you are. Like you can't just say we're going to do these things. You need to show up every day and do those things. And if it doesn't get done, it needs to be taken care of. Um, talk to us about why that's so important, living the brand, living the culture. Well, you know. You know, as you know, restaurants take a lot of people. It's people driven. People go to restaurants to interact with people. Otherwise, they'd be going to automations where you put your coin in the slot and take the food out of a box. Uh, no, people want interaction. And so you need people. And so you have to have the right people. But part of that is, you know, not just hiring the right people with, you know, the right dispensation and the intelligence to do that job. You, you do need to put it down exactly what they need to do. You do need to give them all the tools. We gave them the tools because we gave them innovative wines and incredible cuisine. We gave them those tools, you know, and we taught them things, you know, every day. And so, yeah, so they were constantly stimulated. 
but then you you know you have to you have to lead. You say if you're running a restaurant as a manager, or as a sommelier, or as a, a chef or a sous chef, uh, uh, you always have to lead, and you lead by example. Mm. You know you can't just tell your servers. I want you to say hello to every customer that walks by. You have to say hello to every customer that walks by. You have to make a point of marching across a floor and racing <laughs> to a customer just to say, hi, how you doing? You do have to do that visibly, the same as a chef when he's cooking in the kitchen. And he say, we got to create 25 new dishes tonight. You know, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And but that chef also has the lead by example. He's got to be creative. He's got to, you know, always interact with his people. He, you know, he, nobody follows anyone that they're not inspired by. It's mm. really fundamental. You know, you always follow a leader. We were lucky that we had a good leader at the, at the top, but obviously one guy can't do it all. So you have to have a whole bunch of people that are leading just like Roy. And then the obvious thing, you have to turn your staff into leaders, especially if you're going to be a restaurant that, you know, wants to, you know, become a multi-restaurant group. It's constant training. You always have to have leaders in training. This is you, you do that by giving them responsibility. <laughs> okay. Let them think for themselves. Okay. And this is following their training. Yes. Uh, this is really important stuff right here. I love how you're transitioning to, you know, you, you've gone to the point where you've created that foundation. You have your people, you have, you've given them the tools, you've given them, the, you know, excellent food and wine and uh, things to be excited about, the products to be excited about, the knowledge, the stimulation. Um, the, all these things are here, the tools to be the best they can be. Um, you've provided them leadership, somebody to, you know, who inspires them. All this stuff's important. But how do you – this is really important stuff that you just started talking about, duplicating it. How do you recreate yourself and other people? How do you go about doing that? And I mean – Well, you don't. You, can, you don't create exact copies of yourself. Okay. Because the whole concept of being imaginative and being courageous enough to use your God-given talent and is is about individuality. Okay. You know, so you, you're, we're not creating robots here. We're creating people who think on their feet. Uh, you know, uh, I noticed in your, uh, your you, the thing that you sent about uh, what we're going to talk about, you, you asked about, oh, are, are there books that people can read about this kind of stuff? Yeah, there's been books written about it. You know, start with uh, – Start with Danny Meyer's book on setting the table and how he started with Union Square and then mm-hmm. went to Gramercy Tavern. And why are these restaurants usually in the top two or three of um, of a Zagat list? Well, the same thing. They do exactly the same thing. They don't create teams of leaders and teams of servers and chefs and essays who are exact duplicates, they encourage individuality and expression. And uh, 
because you know if you don't have a group of people who can think for themselves you 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 you're lost too because then they're always waiting for someone to tell them what to do it doesn't work that way in a restaurant in a restaurant business when you're cooking you can't be you can't have a chef telling you exactly what dish ingredients to put in to make a great dish you can't be a waiter at the table having a, a major D or a manager right by your side, whispering in your ear, telling you exactly how you need to interact with people. You have to create people who can think for themselves, who can utilize their abilities. And you have to hire the people who, who have that ability to do that. And, uh, and like I said, you give them the tools and then you give them the culture. You know, they have the core values and you talk about all the time. You do all that kind of stuff. And then they have – they. They have, you know, people, mentors that they can watch and follow, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So I hope that answered your question. It, you know? it, it does. And it's great. And I love your energy. And I'm going to be a huge pain in the ass right now. I'm going to go deeper. How do you create people that think for themselves? What things can we do in our business to encourage that culture of, of thinking for yourself? This has come up in the before in the past and I think it's great but what are the things we can do in our, our restaurant today if we're in this you, situation you to, to do that you have to give them ability to make decisions mm -hmm. and you have to support them when they make decisions you know you have to empower them you know sure they have to work within constraints you know because so you you have you know it's just like a sports team you know mm -hmm. you, you 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 have a strategy Everyone has to be in the right position. Uh, there's a basic thing where everyone has to go in a certain way once the play starts. But after that, it's talent and ability, you know, to innovate, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, to create. Uh, basketball is a great example of that. You know, uh, you can have all the plays in the world, but it does require ability, you know, to innovate and be creative, you know, to put the ball in the basket. So it requires teamwork and individuality. You have to have that balance. And so, yeah, how do you do it? You do it by training constantly, giving them opportunities to learn because no one on a basketball team, if you're always sitting on the bench and you never play, you don't get the opportunity to be creative, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, you're, you're useless. And so I, I think in the best restaurants, just like the best teams, you know, every player plays a role and they're given opportunities, opportunities in with the wine and the wine side, just as an example, because with the chefs, it's a matter of saying, you're going to, you're learning, you've reached this level I want you to create a dish. You know, it might not be perfect. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll work on it. We'll fix it together. But we'll put it on the menu. Mm. And wow, you're a young chef. You're only 21 or 22. That's a big wow. Why do you think Roy's turned out so many kids that become executive chefs and, and restaurant owners? Because he invested in them. He put the time, yeah. the energy to develop yeah. these people. And now, in the wine part, you know, I would do the same thing. You know, I wouldn't just talk to them about wine, have tasted, because it's a one-way thing. You have to ask them what they think. You have to ask them, you know, what do you think of how it goes with this dish? You have to ask them as, 
what do you think about this wine? Does it does it belong on the wine list? Can you use it? You have to ask them to go to Why? wine. Why is that so important? Why? What does yeah. that do? You have to go ask them to go to industry wine tasting. Come back and and make recommendations of what wine should go on the wine list. You know, you no one learns anything. <laughs> no one becomes a leader unless they're given the opportunity to become a leader. Yes, I love it, man. This is awesome stuff. Uh, you're just shedding gold on us right now. And I have one more question before I get your failure. And that question is: When you have such a brand, such a presence. The- like Roy had, how do you, um, how do you not dilute that brand when you stretch it throughout 28 locations? How do you keep oh, that it, it solid? What's that? It, it becomes diluted. Okay. Well, yeah. So how there, do you, there, there's no that. Uh, so, you know, this, this is, we can go at the history of a Roy's restaurant group and you, and that not only is a great example of how you can be successful, it's a great example of how, uh, success can sometimes, you know, be troublesome. And Roy's, like any group like this, ran into brick walls. And one of them is we 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 wanted to be have a, many locations. At one point we had over 30, but that was after I left, uh, you know, I, I retired in 2001. But, you know, um, you know, after, after a while, you can have a culture and a blueprint that is so ingrained in stone that you lose a lot of the creativity. Um, and you use a lot of the imagination, the, the courage, and it takes you know to you know to be innovative within that sort of concept, and um, and that's what happened, especially since. You know, we took on a partner, you know, who was in, an incredible partner, one of the most successful restaurant groups in the world. I mean, incredibly successful. And they could open up restaurants, you know, the, as easily as you can, you know, fry an egg. They were just so good at it. And we and we were drawn to them. But the negative part was some of that went and and killed some of the creativity. And so if you went to a restaurant, say, in Austin or Chicago or Florida, you know, we had four restaurants in Florida alone. Uh, whereas in the original Royce restaurant in Honolulu, you can expect 18 to 20 new dishes every night. Over there, you would only expect five or six. Okay. Uh, so, you know, and then... At the original Royce restaurants, you always expect to be able to taste wines you've never heard of before in your life. They're so exciting and different and, you know, they go great with the food. You go to one of those other restaurants on the other side of the country and there's a lot of brands that you find in a lot of stores. Mm. And, And so, you know, the excitement isn't there as much. You know, it becomes an element of predictability. A lot of it I didn't agree with because as a founding partner and vice president, I actually left for those reasons. It's because, I, no, I didn't agree that when you walk into a Roy's restaurant in Tampa, someone should say aloha because, you know, that shows you the love that we have for what we do. Well, you know, in Hawaii, 
no one says aloha. We say, hi, how are you? <laughs> That's how we express our aloha. Mm. It's not something we talk about. You know, so what happens with large groups when they become corporate, there is a danger of canning it, you know, and, and, and it doesn't become as real. When it, it's not as real, you no longer are as compelling a place to go to eat. Mm-hmm. And this is not a criticism of my own company. Yeah, it's a criticism. What the hell? <laughs> but. That is what it, what it is. What I meant to say is is that I'm just telling you what the dangers are, mm-hmm. and and corporate people don't quite understand that. They, they basically what they do is they tend to forget what brought the company to where it's at in the first place. They forget mm-hmm. all those things, and you know, and they think. It, well, let's put it this way. Okay, we're in 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 the world of well, I saw I saw a movie about Steve Jobs just a, a couple of days ago. Okay. you know, and I and it was the second time I saw it. You know, and and what what I, what struck me was, you know, they fired the dude, right? They fired the dude because you know, I guess the the corporation felt that he he was endangering the company. Okay, fine, corporate wig. <laughs> Tend to think like that, but they brought them back, and then they experienced a regrowth—the growth that they had n- never experienced the first time around. And that's because, really simply, you know, they brought back that innovation. They—they mm-hmm. they brought back that culture. You know that you can't be doing things that everyone else is doing to succeed in this business. You have to be. You have to offer products that they have never seen before that capture the imagination. Mm-hmm. Which is you know exactly what? what you did when you guys first got started. Exactly. And so, you know, but, you know, because consumers don't want, they don't want yesterday's product. I mean, consumers, you know, that's, I mean, this is the way they've been since the beginning of time. You know, they're fashion conscious. They want the latest. They want the best. They they want what's great today, not what was great last year or ten years ago. I mean, how basic a concept is that? <laughs> I mean, that da. And so you know, this has been awesome. So <laughs> a lot of restaurants forget that most basic human instinct, which is I want to experience something, you know, fun and stimulating. Awesome. I mean. Awesome, man. We got to take a quick break to thank our sponsor. We'll be right back. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips to join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves. Head over to restaurantowner.com 
restaurantsunstoppable.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurants unstoppable listeners, you will get the first 10 days for only $1. Again, that's restaurantsowner.com slash unstoppable. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn. That never ends. <laughs> but what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the Tipsy banner in the show notes. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Randy, is what is an it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Oh, well, always questioning yourself. Always questioning yourself. And how did you? Absolutely. You you always have to question yourself. You know what? You know, how good are you? Are you what is what you're doing? Correct. You know, uh, because in, when, when you work at this level, restaurants where you're driven by innovation and creativity, it, it doesn't really work to be doing what you did last week or the year before. It, it, so you, you always have to ask yourself, you know, you know, uh, what do I need to do now? Mm. So you know, uh, what's that? What's that doing? Is that keeping you innovative? Is that, is that keeping you fresh? Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Yeah, and and I, and I come from the wine side of the restaurant world too, but you know I understand the culinary part, and the culinary part is driven, you know, right now by intense creativity. The wine part has traditionally been trapped by this idea that there are classics in the world that you all must have, and these wines have been around for forever, and 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 that's a trap. Mm. You know, uh, and I hate that shit. Mm. You know, uh, you know why? Because it turns sommeliers and wine directors into very conservative thinkers. You know what? They wonder why you know their restaurants don't go, you know, to the top. You know, if you look at the top restaurants, say like in New York, they have innovative wine programs. They they don't have the same old shit. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll say it over and over again. There's always a big argument that, oh, you have to offer the classic wines that everyone knows and loves. That's bullshit. That's, it's okay if you want to be an okay restaurant. But if you want to be the best and you want to make a lot of money, that's not the way to go, dude. 
cake. I love it. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? My big biggest weakness probably is that, yes, I've always been driven so much, you know, by that search for, you know, uh, imaginative things, uh, things that mean something, that make an impact. That, yeah, sometimes I forget that there's a lot of also brands in the world that need a lot of attention. And so I will fully acknowledge, you know, that, you know, maybe I have blind spots in terms of, you know, how I say, uh, look at wines or how I look at restaurants or, you know, how I look at life in general. And it, it, it can be a weakness. And, 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 and let me tell you why that's an important. Because in the restaurant business, you're working with people. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and people come in all sizes and shapes. And so what happens if, if you expect everyone to be a certain oh. way? It's it's not going to happen, you know. It's not going to happen, you know. There there is uh, beauty and talent, and uh, of different that come out in different ways and different people. And so, if you have the patience, you can reap the benefits of the people that don't automatically fall within, you know, your way of looking at how a person should be. And 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 let me tell you, we. Um, we, we learned that the hard way over the years, you know, and we've literally had, you know, some of our greatest managers or, and, or part owners of restaurants, you know, uh, be people who we fired two or three times because they didn't fit in with what we were doing. But the fact that they kept coming back, you know, um, and then stuck with it eventually got us to where we, you know, where you know they became those type of people for us, and 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 so that's how we learned the hard way, and and they taught us in that sense uh, uh, of what it takes. Hmm. So let me just—I kind of want to try to summarize. Uh, the question was, "What is your biggest weakness?" And you said sometimes you're blinded. Uh, you're so uh, you know passionate about the wonder of it all, um, the imaginary, the, you know, being imagined or just what's the word, being um, creative, uh, that you are blinded by. Um, certain things like paying attention to the unique assets your people offer? Is that, is, am I on track? Did I follow that correctly? Well, yeah. What, what I was saying is not all restaurants and not all wines, you know, all have the same sort of qualities to them. They're different. You know, mm. some, some, you know, I, I even learned that with wine. I used to think that wines that didn't, didn't jump out of the glass and grab you by the nose and, and whack you across the palate as you drank them down. Uh, I think wines that I used to think that wines that didn't do that were not as good. Mm. You know, but then you get old, and after a while, you realize that hey, the wines that are really quiet, they're really subtle, they they don't have these extravagant aromas that actually have very little aromas, but they have this length and this feel to them and they stick with you and they go great with what whatever you're eating those can be great too Mm. so so you can easily be blinded by i guess by appearance and so you can apply that to people that's what i'm saying i got you Uh, so not not everyone comes in the same 
you know, same kind of box. I'm going to try to paraphrase this. Uh, keep an open, keep an open mind. Uh, when it comes to everything, uh, don't be so focused on what you think is the right thing because everything, people, wine included, all things in life uh, aren't always as they ap- appear and they might offer something special if you don't – and if you don't allow that opportunity, then you, you're missing out. Is that is that kind of a one way to say exactly. it? Exactly. Well, you're, you're, you're missing out. You know, you're, you're, you're missing out. You know, beautiful. so – Yeah, you, you – that's something you know. Unfortunately, that comes with age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, I got you, man. After a few years in the business, you realize that what everything you thought was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And, but but then again, <laughs> you know that's that's part of life, mm-hmm. right? What is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Uh my biggest. My biggest gripe is kind of like my my piece of advice, and 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 that is never never blame other people for when things go wrong. Mm. It's usually because of you. Awesome. You screwed up. You know your your waiter screws up a screws up a table. A chef screws up a dish. It's, it's probably mostly because. You trained them wrong. You didn't lead them properly. You didn't spend enough time with them. You didn't give them the right tools. It's usually your goddamn fault. <laughs> and and you, know, it, it, you have no business. If you've hired qualified people, you have no business blame going around blaming people. You know, you always look at yourself. Yeah, and listening to you talk, I can't help but think of a quote. Uh, the woman's name's escaping me. A past guest on the show, show said, "You know, take your hand, you know, point your index finger out like you're you're talking to somebody, blaming somebody, and what do you have pointing right back at you? Three more fingers. So always remember, if you're blaming someone else, it almost always comes back around to something that you did. I love it because um, you're responsible. You 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 know the buck stops here. I mean these these sayings are." old as the day you know it's it's good then, but in in the business so you know pe- people are firing people left and right and you know and I know. And, and really the reality is 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 really every time i walk into a restaurant that's screwed up because of the food or service or you know something looks awful in one corner of the room it's usually i blame an owner or a manager i never blame the people yeah Awesome. I'm, you know, it's 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 like, and you can, and it always is that now because I've been in the business. I know that it's it's not it's not the server's fault that you know you've been waiting half hour for something you asked for something that you've asked for. It's it's a freaking manager's fault, <laughs> you know. He didn't. The system is wrong where she's not able to get to you. You didn't, or she wasn't trained right, or. You know, it's not set up for her to be successful. Uh, this is presuming this that particular server is a she. But um, Randy, you know, you're on a tear, man. We got to ask the next question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're doing interviews? I, I, I'm sorry, I missed that one. What is one what? one question you ask or thing you look for when you're doing an interview? Oh, and I. I you know, um, more than anything uh, for me, and I've done, you know, countless interviews, 
thousands. Um, is is I, I look for intelligence. Mm. Yeah, basic intelligence ability. Because to me, it it, it starts there. How you know, do you, it, how do you know somebody you know, is intelligent when you meet them? Yeah, you talk to them, you ask them questions that that require an intelligent answer <laughs> or observation. Give us an example. Uh, and so, uh, um, you know, um, you know, it's been such a long time since I've done it. <laughs> but uh, an example, it, it would usually come through the flow okay. of, of, of an interview. And, and here's the thing. Uh, we actually, because we were a multi-unit restaurant, we, we reached the point where we had basic questions where we asked every every person. Okay. <laughs> so we would follow a script and then based upon that script, we would evaluate the answers and, and, and a person had to sort of, you know, kind of pass a, a certain minimal level before they were considered that. Okay. This is the kind of thing you need to do, by the way, if you, yeah. uh, to have this kind of restaurant, you can hire, uh, you can hire people with, uh, I always tell chefs and managers, you can't hire people after a 30 second interview. <laughs> <laughs> our interview actually lasted uh i would interview someone for an hour and you're basically what i'm hearing from you is when you're spending the time to get to know these people you're just asking you're having an intelligent conversation are they holding an intelligent conversation do they have social exactly. intelligence and emotional intelligence know, and all sure. these things people think it's it's nuts <laughs> and my other partners when we would interview it would be at least an hour I mean, it's an hour of your time, but that what's that return on investment going to be if you take the time to really get to know if somebody's the right fit? I mean, it always well, comes back. Exactly. Because one thing we hated so much was hiring someone, giving them a fantastic training, and, and then they're ready to start after about six, seven weeks, and then they quit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And we used to look at, look at ourselves and say, what the hell did we do wrong? Because <laughs> we wouldn't blame the people. People have the right to quit. You know, people have the right to move on. There's other things out there for them. You know, they got other things to do. It's always our fault when people quit. That's the way we always looked at it. Yeah. What did we do wrong? And it really comes down to we hired the wrong person. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, you know, and so we learned one of the first questions we did learn was uh, find out how are they going to get to work. <laughs> if yeah. it's if it sounded like really difficult, they're not, <laughs> and but yet they're the greatest candidate in the world. We're not going to hire them <laughs> What's, because they be able to get to work. <laughs> What's one thing besides food? Well, that, you know, that would be a problem. I love it, Randy. You're on a tear. Uh, what is one thing besides food uh, or wine your restaurants did really well that separated you from other restaurants? Caring. Mm. Caring. A caring culture because, you know, when, when, when people care about what they do, they love what they do, you know, uh, they're more attentive. You know, they're more attentive to the plates they create. They're more attentive, to, you know, to their tables and the individuals at the table, you know, who are guests. You know, they're more attentive to the wines they presented to, you know. I got you, man. The show customers. You know, you, 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 know, you really have to care about, you know, why you're there and what you're doing. Absolutely. And, you know, to even have 
the motivation to serve and to make a dish. You really have to care about what you're doing. I mean, Amen, uh, brother. <laughs> and that's actually, by the way, you know, if you ask me what was the second thing you look for in interviews, you know, besides intelligence, is did they have a caring mm. attitude? So important. Did they like to share? Mm. You know, did I mean, and that, that, you know, from, you know, asking about the families and or you or you ask about, you know, what they do, you know, and, you know, if, if they do things that indicate they have that basic caring attitude, those are the people that you want to hang on to. Absolutely. I love it. You know, because they're the ones that are going to be with, you, you know, at the original Roy's restaurant founded in 1988. There, uh, I don't know, about 30, 40% of the people there are, 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 were there in 1988. Wow, that's incredible. They're still there in 2016. You know, you have turnover, but when you have a core group of people who know what they're doing, mm. they're, that's priceless. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Awesome stuff. Uh, what is you know, my, daughter, my daughter is a CFO for Royce. Really? And she, she was three years old when we started wow. the company. That's incredible. So there you go. Wow, man, that's a testament to something. Absolutely. Uh, what is one book we must read to become a better person or restaurant owner? Uh, okay, well, I I mentioned Meyer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Setting the Table. Absolutely. Most recommended uh, book on the show. Yeah, and... You know, I don't have another book. Just give me one lesson from that book then. Give me yeah. one lesson that really stood out to you in that book that's not the whole salt shaker. I mean, we, we've heard that one five times this, this week already. So we got a, a different oh, take I, I, I don't remember so, details about the book because, you know, first of all, I haven't opened it in 10 years. Uh, but, <laughs> but I will tell you this, you know, the, what he did with his original restaurants is exactly what we did. That's the reason why I know it's great. It's yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, it's it's, it's exactly what we did. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you put people first. Mm. You know, and you, you build it on. You hire. It's it's built on the concept of hire the right people, then let them do their goddamn jobs. Awesome. I mean, how simple is that? And, <laughs> it, and you know what? A lot of people. I'm amazed at restaurants that don't do that. Yeah. You know, uh, but this is if you want to be in the big. I mean, I understand, you know, the coffee shop down the road or the spaghetti house and the steakhouse. There maybe a little bit different ambition there. But if you want to swim with the big fish, if you want to be big time, big league, you want to be counted in the best in your city or among the best in the nation. Yeah. Then you hire the right people and then you let get get the hell out of the way and let them do their jobs. Right That's on, man. That's how simple is. How simple is that? <laughs> right on. I love it. So, what is one piece of technology um, that you're seeing maybe some other restaurants uh, adapting right now or adopting right now uh, into their operations? That's either you know increasing profitability, efficiency, uh, productivity. Is there anything that really has your attention? Maybe on the wine side of the industry, uh, tools that people are using for ordering or keeping inventory straight. Like, what's a technology that has your attention? You know, because technology has been there for the past five. 10 years yeah so you know uh whether it's open table wow mm-hmm. i mean how do you improve on that or but you know the the uh the pos systems you know yeah those are getting better you know and uh, and you know anything 
you know, but you can have a system. Let's put it this way. You can have a system that's really great because POS systems have always been great for a long time. Mm-hmm. The problem always has been, you know, are, are people utilizing them correctly? And mm. I'm sure you, people said that, uh, have told you that mm-hmm. many times. So, so it's a matter of, okay, a lot of people are using it to input information, but a lot of people are not putting it in in such a way that it minimizes mistakes. Mm. And those are uh, the, the major breakdown of any restaurant on a, on a nightly basis is is when mistakes are made. So in between taking an order and and then inputting it into a system, uh, a mistake is made. And so what a lot of people do is they use their POS systems, but they're using it in such a way that it their own staff trips over it. And mm-hmm. so what happens when a mistake is made, you know, a table's dishes are prepared and then one of them is totally wrong, that that throws a monkey wrench into the whole machine. If you're a big front, that's death. Take, yeah, take and, advantage of the yeah. um, customer service or, you know, the the, the – your mentors, people who have been in this industry, find out the little tricks you can be doing when using your well, operations well, systems. Well, so, well, yeah. So what I'm trying to say is you have to be smart. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to be smart about it. If you ain't got the smarts because you're an owner or a manager and you ain't got the smarts to understand your POS system, God damn it, you better go find somebody who <laughs> has those smarts. Absolutely. That can train other people, you know, because, you know, they don't show up to work every day. Uh, um. And so, um, you know, I I was in charge of, the, uh, of doing the systems, you know, when I was, when we opened up our original Royce restaurant. Was I the smartest guy in the world when it came to computers? No, I wasn't. But I, I, I tried to make up for that by listening to my waiters. I didn't have the ego where if a waiter said, oh, we have a problem with this, we have a problem with that. Yeah, where I was saying, there's no problem. The problem is you. There's a lot. There's a lot of managers out there. That's their attitude. You know, screw that. You know, you, you get with it. You know, uh, I listen. Listen to my staff. I think that's why they like working with me, despite the fact that just like every other person who tends to be creative can fly off the handle or go crazy once in a while, but. I think what made up for that is the fact that I always listen to them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah. important. And if you could go back in time, Randy, and just give yourself one piece of business advice when you're, you know, just getting started, uh, what would that piece of advice be? It, it would be, be more patient, be more patient, you know, calm down, think, you know, a, not just 10 seconds, you know, take 10 minutes out and think about what just happened, you know, um, because in the business, so you, you, you're so caught up in every moment and things are happening really fast. When you've got 150, 200 people out there sitting down and everything is happening at once, you know, uh, yeah, sometimes you feel like you don't have that opportunity, you know, you, you've got to do everything right now, right this very instant. Uh, that's not true. Uh, my advice to myself would be, you know, you know, oh, Nelly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
and, and think about what you do and say, you know, uh, before you do and say it. Awesome. Uh, you know, because that you can never give yourself enough of that advice because, you know, I, I think I've, I've lost some incredible people because I didn't think and, 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 and say the right things at that very moment. Mm. Um, Awesome. At the same time, I think I I did a lot of saying and doing of the right things that kept them around for years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not killing myself for it. I think the majority of time I was okay. Uh, um, Simple emotional intelligence, playing to people's emotions, thinking and not letting your emotions get the best of you, being patient in the moment and thinking about what you're going to do and say. All this stuff is extremely valuable, great assets and tools to leverage in your life. So uh, is there one question I could have asked you, Randy, that would have added more value to this interview that you could share with us? Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, there, there's actually would have been a, a – a, a lot, which is, you know, um, but, you know, I, I would say, you know, I think a major one was what do you do once you know exactly who you are? So what, you know, what do you do once you know exactly who you are? Yeah. What What are the next steps? So because you, you got to answer I, that now, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's not something you can answer, you know, in 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 a, in a second or yeah. or a few minutes, you know, because you know what. Once you do understand what you are, I think yes, that's when you have to establish your culture. You know, that's how it. when you have to establish, you know, your values. That's mm-hmm. when you have to establish your, you know, um, you know. Um, your your standard operating procedures Beautiful, you know man. up until then you're kind of experimenting <laughs> you know you're kind of going exactly. seated cats that's, a- that's for every restaurant but <sighs> but once you understand it yeah then then you put it down and and and, and then you look at it you know Beautiful. and then you can go back to it and you can and then you can communicate it yeah, uh, better. So, 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 so we could have spent more time on that. I think a lot of restaurants are missing that, I or they have views that no one ever cares about, or man, no one pays attention it, to. It's so important, though. I mean, your restaurant is going to be something that you're going to be spending, you know, sixty plus, eighty plus hours a week committed to this restaurant. It has to be ex- an extension of who you are, what you believe in, and what matters to you to be able to, to, exactly. to pull that off. Uh, it's so <laughs> crucial. Yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, you can put it down on paper and not actually live it. I think that's the, a major problem, a major problem with restaurants. Oh, they talk about it all night long, but then, yeah, then, then you see the show up. <laughs> then, then you see the sommeliers and the managers and the chefs goofing off and <laughs> and doing the opposite. This it's is- like, hey, dude, what? Why? Why do we talk about things? You, you, you have to. It has to be complete you know yeah, yeah it has to be done in action you know it's it's not something you you pay lip service to and uh, randy this has been so. awesome man I, i've had a blast talking to you i really have and you've given us some some pretty valuable lessons in our conversation uh, we're gonna wrap it up we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out that's how i connected with you um so who is one 
independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry and you believe would make a great guest mentor like you have for us today? Okay. There, there are people that I admire, you know. So, you know, uh, I think in San Francisco, because I'm in California, you know, uh, I, I like Shelly Lindgren of A16 and SPQR restaurants. I mean, those are concepts, you know, they're focused and and they're done you know with complete mastery and but they're not but they're not done to a point where the people involved are going crazy you know they they have a, a very good life they're comfortable with themselves they raise their families you know i'm a i'm a father of four and a grandfather of four now i was able to raise my family you know is families are important you know, uh, and, and that's, you know, always should be part of the formula. These people, you know, have that, uh, that, that completeness to them. You know, at the same time, they're considered one of the top one or two restaurants in the city. So yeah. there you go. And she was an awesome guest. Episode 237. Uh, oh, forget. <laughs> I'm just so not, you know. You were saying so many uh, nice things. I didn't want to I'm, stop you. you know, I am so original. I mean, you know, it's not even funny. You um, know? <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've done 300 of these now. So, you know, with, it's only a matter of time before we get some common uh, call-outs. If you can think of anybody to shoot me an email, how's that sound, Randy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what about the boulevard people? You got <laughs> No, I don't think so. Well, there you go. Awesome. That's another institution <laughs> in the city. Nancy Oates, uh, chef, uh, you know, owner of Boulevard. Boulevard you know, and, Nancy, look and, out! <laughs> oh my you. God, those people! Those people know their shit, <laughs> and they're also at the top, and at the, and they have staff that have been there forever. Awesome. And so, so there you go. Okay, I came up with something original. Beautiful, Randy. You've been a, a pleasure to speak to. If anybody wants to connect with you, what's the best way for us to connect? Well, they can email me at randycaparoso at earthlink.net, and I'm on Facebook. And, right. Or you can just Google me and find about 30 pages, you know, <laughs> whatever. I mean, you know, it, 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 I'm the easiest guy in the world to find, you know, which, which, which is bad if IRS are after you. So. <laughs> this is episode 302. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 302. You'll find the links to everything we discuss, a summary of our discussion, and uh, the links to connect with Randy. So all right there, episode 302. Randy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as a guest mentor. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. My pleasure. <laughs> Cheers. Uh you take care. Man, these episodes are getting better and better. Randy Caparoso, thank you for coming on the show, man. You just crushed it. You were on a tear. I had a blast talking to you. And I love the way you ended this episode with uh, where to start. You asked, you know, where do you start uh, once you figure it all out? Find out what you're passionate about. Find out what you're good at. Find out what drives you, why you do what you do. This will be your North Star. When you figure this out, when you figure out why you do what you do, what you're in this industry for, where you belong, it will make the rest much easier. You'll be able to live much more intentionally and then live it. Um, No one follows anyone they're not inspired by. So find something that inspires you uh, and share that mission, share that passion you have. 
For Randy, it was wine. It was what wine did to people. It, it made people come alive at the parties. He loved what wine did to people. It, it broke down social barriers. He loved that. What do you love? Find your North Star. And then if you're good at it, even better, uh, just, like, just go. Live it. Uh, be extraordinary, like he says. I mean, you, you can't be ordinary. You need to be extraordinary. Another part that just needs to be mentioned, uh, something that came up in today's show, is that you need to create more leaders. Uh, you need to become a leader by living these things that you say fill you up on the inside, uh, living your core values, living your principles, doing all the things you want to see your people doing. That's how you become a leader. But then you got to create more leaders to the point where everybody in your organization, every role, the most simplest role, that person is a leader. And how do you do this? You know, when you ride the elevator to the top, you send it back down. You make your life about helping the next person. And you create that culture of developing the next person, bringing the, the passion out of the next person, giving the tools, the resources to the next person. And that's what you do. I loved this episode. It was beautiful. Uh, like always, guys, I've got to remind you. And for those of you who have been connecting with me, thank you so much. I love getting those emails. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Find me on Facebook slash restaurantunstoppable or set up a one-on-one chat with me by heading over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one-on-one or just look for the banner uh, right there at the website. And uh, guys, I want to take this show to the next level. And my vision for doing that is taking restaurants unstoppable on the road. What do I mean by that? I want to live out of a van. (laughs) I know I should have greater aspirations for myself, but here's the thing. I've interviewed now over 300 successful restaurateurs and I've gotten a great picture of what success looks like at say 50,000 feet. But I want to find out what success looks like at say 500 feet. I want to get my hands on the operations manuals of these successful people. I want to be a fly on the wall. I want to sit through their pre-mails. I want to see how they handle uh, problems. I want to see what it is they do up close. I want to be a part of these cultures uh, and I need your help to get there. (laughs) So what can you do to help? Right now, hit pause, hit the share button on whatever podcast app you're using and send this to at least two or three people that you know could benefit from the advice we're getting from our guest mentors if you just simply share this podcast that alone will support the show uh that will help there's also a support page if you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com if you guys are feeling generous if you want to thank me for all of these episodes i put out uh and if you want to support this mission of, of taking the show to the next level Uh, taking it on the road to really connect with my guests on a whole new level. Um, Make a small donation. Uh, Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash support. Uh, You can make a small donation or a large donation, or you can even do a reoccurring donation, maybe 10, 20 bucks a month uh, just to, you know, support this cause of creating this melting pot of mentors of lifting our industry up by paying it forward to the next generation. Uh, So if you like what I'm doing, if you believe what I'm doing, uh, any little bit of help will go a long way. And uh, I guess that's all. Um, for those of you who have wrote those reviews, for those of you who have reached out to me, for those of you who have encouraged me to keep on going, 
thank you so much. Uh, I'm finding so much. I'm learning so much. I hope you are too. I hope this has been a great experience for you as it has been for me. Uh, Stay awesome, guys. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.